Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. As a brother said earlier, we've been going all week long and been busy with our business and our lives. And now I I thank you all for coming here and uh, taking your time out to this precious hour or so that we sit here and teach the Bible. And thank you guys for coming to my home for Gospel Saving Church. And thank you for coming to uh, all over the world, coming from all over the world to listen to Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud and wherever you're coming from. So praise be to God. And I want to open up the, you know, our sermon today with the Word of God. So if you guys want to, or I'm sorry, with a prayer. If you guys will join me in a word of prayer, please, before we start and ask the Lord to bless our service and ask the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts. And if you want to join me, please. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, dear God, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for, Lord, we know that your word says that flesh and blood does not reveal things to us, Lord God, but only by you, only by your Holy Spirit. So we ask you today, Lord God, as I was praying earlier, Lord God, even this morning, Lord, please help us to understand, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, all the things that your word says to us today, Lord God. Bring the truth to us, Lord God, and let us not be able to not understand, Lord God. Help us to fully Understand everything you have to tell us today. Lord, for all those in my home and all those coming from online, Lord God, I pray that we'd all be able to understand your word today fully. And Lord, you'd speak to us. And not just to our mental minds, Lord. We pray you'd speak to our hard hearts, Lord, and teach us, Lord. For we know, Lord, that I don't really do the teaching. Your word says that there's one teacher, and that's Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Lord. So we just thank you and we praise you. We ask that you keep distractions down, Lord God. Keep, Keep... you know, all the things around us, all the noise around us, Lord God, may it all just be suppressed. May it all just go away, Lord. Put your foot on the neck of Satan today, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that he would not be able to distract us, Lord, as we're listening to your truths today. So, Lord, we come here and we gather together because you're our guest of honor, Lord. You are the one we wish to serve and you are the one that we wish and hope to please. So, Lord, may this service and may our lives and may this worship to you, Lord, be service, be worship to you, Lord, and may it glorify you, Lord God, and, and help us, Lord God, help us, Lord God, help us, and make us more like you or bring us to you, Lord, wherever we may be. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be in verses 57 through 66. But first, if you guys want to turn there while I'm getting to my getting through my thoughts from last week's message, come behind the veil and meet with God. Matthew chapter 27 again, verse 57 through 66. But first, come behind the veil and meet with God. In my last sermon, I focused on how Jesus Christ's death made a new way through his flesh unto God. A living way, remember I talked about, it, where anyone can come through Jesus Christ's flesh or the new veil and have an intimate personal relationship with God where they literally come right before the throne of God in prayer. Remember, this is a privilege. In the old times, in the old days, in the Old Testament, the priests and stuff had to sacrifice bulls and goats and rams before they could come behind that veil. But now, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary, now we can go through his flesh and the veil and come right before God. What a privilege this is. Nobody, nobody, nobody should look down upon this. This is an awesome privilege that Jesus gave us. And my whole sermon pretty much focused on this amazing truth. And I will say again, that this truth is and was and always will be monumental. 
I think personally we're going to be celebrating this truth in heaven. I think we're going to be gathering around the throne of God when we go to heaven, those of us that get to go, and we're going to be praising God for this great truth. And this great truth today and yesterday and last week should change your life, should change your prayer life, and it should change your relationship with God. But it'll only change you, mind you, if you focus on it, if you think on it. You know, there was an old movie that I don't watch anymore because I don't watch movies with any kind of language in them or any kind of anything evil in them. But there was an old movie where, you know, and and my old coaches used to talk about this when I played football. You know, you ever heard of the old saying, visualize and attack? Well, that's kind of how that kind of works, that principle with God and that kind of principle with Christ's flesh and the veil and coming before God's throne. Visualize it and then go for it. Visualize it first and then think, wow, because Jesus did this and we can come through his flesh, then you can visualize going behind the veil and then visualize and then go for the prayer and go for the time with God. And then that'll make your time with God sweeter when you actually bring to remembrance what you're actually going before. You're actually going before God Almighty who sits on his mighty throne in heaven. So praise be to God. Um, well, remember, I also, we can't just stop there. I also briefly touched on the fact that because Jesus did this, that he became the only way to heaven. Yes, the Bible says Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, would you believe that there are people out there, even people that claim to be Christians, who do not believe this simple truth of the Christian faith? It's true, I promise. I've talked to them. I I believe in Jesus, and and I'm a Christian, but, but there's no possible way that Jesus Christ can be the only way to heaven. What about Allah? You know, what about Islam, or what about Buddha, or what about Hinduism, or what about Judaism, or what about all those other faiths? Are you telling me just because they're not coming through Jesus that they're going to go to hell? Well, no, I'm not telling you that. Jesus told us that. Many people have a problem with that simple truth. Well, to say... That Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven is biblically heretical. It's anti-Bible and it's really completely disrespectful unto Jesus. And, I, and God led me, I want to do this this morning just real quick before we open up to, to focus on just how important this truth is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Put aside your feelings because me as a Christian, of course I'm going to be biased. Of course I'm thinking, oh, Jesus is the only way to heaven. But if you look at biblical truths, there's no way biblically, according to God's way, according to what God said in his word, that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven. The Bible says that Jesus became God's atonement, his only atonement for the world's sins. Hence why Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say this because he was being arrogant. He didn't say this was because he was being prideful. He literally said it because literally worldwide and throughout time and space and since creation has begun, since the New Testament came, I should say, but there was foreshadowing him from the old, he is the only sacrifice that God made to atone for our sins. Look at what the Bible says on the subject. Romans 5, 8 through 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And this is a very popular scripture, but a lot of people leave out verse 9, the end of verse 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having not been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Well, what wrath? Bible says that God pours out wrath upon our sins. 
So here we read Paul, right? That Jesus is that way by which we can escape God's wrath. Why? Because of his atonement for our sins. And 1 John 2, 1 and 2, John writes, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate is someone that goes in between. He's somebody that kind of stands in between two people and kind of goes back and forth for one to another, okay? We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And listen to what he says. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What is the propitiation? The propitiation is the way. Jesus is the way that God made for our sins to be forgiven. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He's the only propitiation that God gave for our sins. Remember the Old Testament, God said, I make bulls and goats and rams to be the covering for your sins. But now the New Testament, God designed Jesus Christ's death and sacrifice to become his new way to deal with our sin problem, or you could say to atone for our sins. Anyway, Jesus not being the only way to heaven, remember, is anti-Bible and it just doesn't work. So if anyone ever tells you, again ever, that Jesus Christ isn't the only way to heaven, you can ask them, simply ask them this question. How does your religion deal with the sin problem if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, if Jesus Christ is not the atonement for our sins. And if they say to you, well, you know, by my good works, you know, by, by my righteousness, you know, God, you know, he's going to forgive me because, you know, after all, I'm a pretty good person. Well, then you can tell them, hey, did you know that God says that sin, your sin separates you from God? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And that the Bible says that even though we may do righteous things or good things or really religious things, that those things don't take care of our sin before God because a righteous work or a good deed can never atone or wipe away the sins or your wrongdoings. Only, the Bible says, the blood of a sacrifice can do that. Now, think of it like this, because that's kind of all biblical terminology. Think of it like this. Because sin separates us from God, In order to be saved and go to heaven, there has to be a way for which our sin won't stick to us by the time we get to God. You see, because if our sin sticks to to us, then God will see us when we stand before him and our sin will be all over us, like like a dirty disease, like a filthy rag, like like we fell in a mud puddle before we got to God and and our clothes are all stained and they're all muddied up and everything and maybe we got all bloody and that's how god will see us if there's nothing that takes away our sins if you don't get rid of your sin you'll stand before god with your sin (coughs) excuse me still stuck to you and he'll judge you for it and he'll condemn you to hell so there has to be something in god's eyes so that he doesn't judge you and his wrath doesn't pour out upon you for your sin that takes away your sin and the bible says that the only one that god ordained to do that was jesus christ the righteous not you not me not bobby down the street only jesus christ the righteous so whether you or i like it or not unfortunately this is the way god made to deal with our sins and and he has a good reason for what he did. 
I'm just thankful. I don't know if I get an amen out of this, but I'm just thankful that I thought of it like this as I was preparing this sermon. Okay? We did the wrong. We broke God's laws. We did the wrong, and we deserve the penalty and the punishment for the wrong. So even though God made Jesus Christ the only way, I'm thankful that he made any way. Because he literally could have just said, well, you know what? Those wretched, rotten, filthy sinners, they broke my laws. They live against me. Their hearts are hard. Let them go. And he could have just let us all burn in hell forever. And he would have been righteous to do so. He wouldn't have been. Nobody would have blamed him if he would have done that. So although Jesus Christ may be the only way to heaven, I thank God that God thought of us at all and even made a way out because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. So that's a way help you think about things, you know. Wow, wow, is God just, you know, is he dogmatic? Well, yeah, God is dogmatic, but there has to be a way for your sins to be forgiven you. And Christ is that only way that your sins can be forgiven you. Praise be to God. All right, let's get on to our new sermon for today. Our title is Jesus is Dead, But His Story is Not Over. Jesus is Dead. But his story is not over. So I'm going to read through Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66, and you can follow along, or you can just listen to me, whatever you'd like to do. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to teach it on out. Matthew 27, verse 57 says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, We remembered while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead so that the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, Last week I talked about how important the death of Christ was upon the cross and how it meant that we could have a new and living way to God through him. Praise God for that. Amen. But even though Jesus has died, does not mean his story is over. In fact, his story really is just beginning. Okay? So his story is not over. What what do we have first thing that we saw in our scripture today? Why is the story not over? Well, the story is not over because, first of all, we have a body. Okay? Somebody doesn't die and then there's not a body. Okay? So Christ died, so he's still got his body hanging out here, hanging on the cross. And so we got to do something with the body. So God chooses to, through Matthew, talk to us about what happens to the body. And there's so much here, but we're going to narrow it down to like... You know, some certain things, and you'll see as we go. So first of all, we have the business of taking care of his body. Who took care of his body? Think about it. The last time all his disciples were gathered together in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? 
they all forsook him. They all left him. So who is there left? I mean, all his original disciples are all gone. They fled. They were all scared. They ran away and there's nobody left. So who would have taken care of Jesus's body? Had the Romans have done it. Okay. If we, I know we read already what we read, but take your mind back. If the Romans had done it, the Romans didn't care about the Jews. Had the Romans eventually pulled him off the cross when they had to that night, they would have either thrown him in a shallow, unmarked tomb, or they would have really just thrown his body in a ditch. They didn't care about Jesus. Jesus didn't mean anything to the Romans. He came as the one to show the Jews the light, and then the Gentiles, yes, we kind of got caught along because the Jews didn't accept. So the Romans would have just discarded the body. But we see that the Romans didn't get that chance because God had the provision of Jesus Christ's burial already all taken care of. God always takes care of those that are his. And we see here that God gives Jesus, his only son, the provision of a good burial after he's dead. We see here that the scripture tells us that God did not lead Jesus without help. Even though he's gone now, his spirit's left his body, Body's still here, but God still provides for his body. Jesus said, we read here, Jesus had some secret admirers or he had some secret disciples that didn't give up on following him even after he died. Look at verses 57 and 58 again. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Notice it says that he had become a disciple of Jesus. That means that there wasn't, he wasn't always a disciple of Jesus. His Jesus' other disciples forsook him, but now Joseph of Arimathea became a disciple. This man went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. But you may be saying, Pastor Ed, uh, you know, the Word's got to say it. i got to see it in the Word. Where do you see that, the, that, that, that Joseph was a secret disciple? And then you also use the word disciples. I only see one here, and it didn't even say that Joseph was a secret disciple. And I would say you're right. Matthew does not tell us that. But then again, I would also tell you that Matthew doesn't give us all of the story. You see, Matthew doesn't give us all the story, but John does. Look at what John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 38 and 39 tell us, which is, by the way, a parallel passage to the one we're studying today. Look with me to John 19, verses 38 and 39, and look what John says about this same account, the little details that Matthew just happened to leave out. John says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and oh, and 39, and Nicodemus who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So even though, think about this, all the Jesus' original disciples had fled, God made a way for other provision to come Jesus' way. And it didn't mean that although his original disciples had followed him, or had stopped following him, that everyone had stopped following Christ. Because here we read today in our scripture, we just read about Joseph. We just read about Nicodemus. We read about the Marys. We're going to talk about them at the at, at close to the middle of the sermon. We had the Marys that were sitting there and they were being dedicated to Jesus. And we also have John. 
In the Gospel of John, John tells us that he was also at the cross of Christ. And he was also standing there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Jesus kind of gave John command, hey, I'm gone. Take care of mom for me, you know, in the faith. Take care of her. So we had all these people that had not given up on Jesus, even though most or all of his original disciples had originally given up on him. Remember, God always provides and takes care of those that are his. So now that his secret disciples have come forth, what do they do with his body? Look at verse 59 again. When Joseph, and we'll add Nicodemus, had taken the body, because of John, we, he wrapped it, or they wrapped it in clean linen cloth. Okay, and remember, uh, John 19, 39 and 40 also said Nicodemus brought all the aloes and all the myrrhs and all the, you know, the stuff, and they wrapped him up. And, and by the way, in case you didn't know, although I've, I think I've heard before that this was a special burial for Jesus, this was a very common thing for the Jews to do. If you think back to uh, Lazarus, remember Lazarus, Mary and Martha's uh, brother, okay, when Je- they, they called Jesus and they said, come, our, our brother Lazarus is sick, Right? And so what happened? Jesus waited a few days, and then he finally came, and then they met him. By that time, Lazarus was dead. And then they kind of, you know, kind of complain at Jesus. Oh, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And he said, oh, it's okay. You know, I told you that everything's going to be okay. And they kind of went through some stuff. Anyway, he went to the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And in John eleven forty four we read, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. So this preparation of Jesus' body was a common thing that the Jews had, you know, had done to their, to their loved ones, to their bodies. They wrapped them up. You know, it kind of you know, made the smell go away a little bit you know, from the tomb. You know, when they wrapped them in the aloes and so on and so forth. So once they had the body of Jesus... They wrapped the whole. They wrapped it with a whole bunch of perfumes and aloes and linen cloths, and they laid it nicely in this tomb, uh, and they prepared it for this burial. Well, what did they do with this body now that they had it all prepared for this burial? Look at verse sixty, and they laid it in his new tomb. This is all going to be big now, so just focus on this now. And they laid it in his. Or this would be Joseph of Arimathea, and they lay and he laid it in his new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock that's pretty big because that hewing rock you know and making a hole in the rock and the side of the wall that's that's not a real easy thing to do that takes a lot of time and a lot of money and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb think about that because not everybody got that just generally a shallow tomb and then they departed well on the surface here in this verse it may seem like they just gave Jesus a proper burial but if you look deeper at some of the things i just kind of pointed out we'll see that this was way more than just a proper burial in fact we'll see three powerful and important things here in this one verse number 1 here's the first thing they did they set his body in a new tomb for burial as i said before not everybody got this most people just got a box and a hole. This was a rock. It was a, it was a huge cave that they had built, that they had, that they had dug out, that this Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, that's a key, remember that, had hewn out of this rock. And you don't think he did it himself. No, he probably paid people. This was a very expensive burial. Okay, This wasn't, uh, this wasn't the average six-foot hole with some dirt thrown on top. This was a very expensive burial. Number two, the second thing they did, they set a huge rock in front of it. Why? Why would they set a huge rock for a hole? Well, this kind of barrel with a hole in the rock, if you just left the hole open, what would happen? Well, animals could come in. 
And what do animals do to a, you know, something that's dead? Well, they go after it and they go after it and they eat it and they tear it all up. So here we get a huge rock rolled in front of the tomb, which couldn't have been cheap either. And then so to keep the body as preserved as possible while it would just simply decompose is what they would think. But number three, the biggest thing that they did here, which ties into the last two, and this last thing that they did, they fulfilled a prophecy of Christ a part of a prophecy of Christ through his death. They fulfill actually the second part of the prophecy of Christ's death from Isaiah chapter 53. Yes, that's right. They just fulfilled yet another prophecy of Christ, but let's talk about it. The first part of the prophecy was fulfilled a little earlier, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as I go through this prophecy. But let's just start at the prophecy itself that they fulfilled and talk about how it was fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 8 through 9 is where we're going to be. Isaiah 53, 8 through 9. You can turn along or you can listen along, whatever you'd like to do. And we read about kind of this scene that we actually just went through. We read verse 8. He, this was God's righteous servant that was going to die for the sins of the world. That His name is not mentioned, but there's only one person that did that. So he, Jesus was taken from prison and from judgment. And remember, that's what they did. They they put him in a, you know, they, they, they came and arrested him and they threw him in a makeshift prison and then they took him from judgment. And he says, who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. That simply means that he died. He was cut off from the land of the living. Listen, for the transgressions, or another word for transgressions is sin, For the sin of my people, he was stricken. And listen to verse 9 here. And they made his grave with the wicked. That's key. That's the first part of the prophecy of the death of Christ that Jesus fulfilled that was already fulfilled before. We see that they made his grave with the wicked in Matthew 27, 35 through 38. I'm going to read it. 27, 35 through 38, we read in the Gospel of Matthew that they crucified him They crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided his garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Remember, that was a psalm from David. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put him, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. So that was a prophecy that the evil, wicked Gentiles had fulfilled for Christ in his death story. That, he was, that his grave was with the wicked. And we see here that he was crucified amongst two evil robbers or sinners. That was the first part of the prophecy. But then we get the rest of verse 9, the second half, what we're, what we're looking at today. But with the rich at his death. Well, when we look at verse 60 again, we see that, and they laid his body in a new tomb. Well, this was a rich man's burial. This wasn't a poor man's burial. This was a rich man's burial. And you got to understand, Jesus in his earthly life, what did people testify about him? This isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Jesus was not rich in his earthly life. Jesus was a middle class working soul. That's what he was. His dad was a carpenter. Jesus was a middle-class working man. 
Okay? Jesus ministered. And in fact, the last three and a half years of his life, he didn't work at all. He lived on basically what people gave him as tithe or gave him as donation or would give him to help him in the ministry. So Jesus did not live a rich man's life. Therefore, he didn't deserve a rich man's death. Yet, that's why God says here in Isaiah chapter 53, 9, that, that he would be with the rich at his death. Of course, Isaiah saw where they were going to be burying Jesus. And they said, whoa, he said, wow, he's going to be rich. Well, he's going to be rich at his death. Look at that. Why? Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And by the way, in this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 53, if you're looking at the picture of what the Christ did, if you're looking for a picture of what the Messiah actually did and what he went through for us, you can read the whole of Isaiah chapter 53. And this is the largest whole chapter in the Bible that speaks nothing about Christ and about the Messiah and what he's going to do for us and how he was going to suffer for our sins and what was going to happen to him after that. And you can go to Isaiah chapter 53 and you'll see the largest single chapter that's completely devoted to nothing but prophecy of Christ and what he did. So, praise God, in his burial even, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Wow. So who was there all watching this happen? Verse 61, I mentioned this earlier. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Why did this happen? Why did Matthew again bring up the fact that the Marys were there again watching this all happen? Well, remember, I mentioned it last week. In an account, in any kind of story, in any kind of writing, in any kind of historical writing, whenever you have more than one witness, that brings accountability to your story, to your account. If just one person writes something, well, that can just be just one person that wrote something. Uh, and a very good uh, example of that are the Mormons. In the Mormon doctrine, of the Mormon theology, Joseph Smith had this vision, and he was the only one that saw this great vision of Jesus Christ. And, and the angel Moroni came to him, him only, quote-unquote, and gave him these special glasses only, and it was only him, and through him and only him came this whole religion. Well... God even says in his Bible, in his Old Testament, he says, unless there's two or three or more witnesses to something, there's kind of hard to have accountability there. Well, the Marys here bring accountability to the story. Whenever this was read, people that were reading it would have gone, oh, the Marys were there? And then they could turn to the Marys or go find the Marys and say, Mary, Mary of Magdalene, you were there and you saw this? Oh, yes. I was sitting right at the tomb, and oh, and this other Mary was here too. And they could actually go, and they could search out for themselves and see all this proof of how this really happened to Christ. So it, it was, they were there at least for provability of this account. Um, but there's a thing, big thing here that we can't miss. Pull back a little bit on the reins. There's a huge thing here that we cannot miss. There's more here than just the burial of Christ and Christ fulfilling this prophecy in this tomb. What is it, you say? What is this huge thing that we cannot miss? Look at how the Marys, look at how Joseph of Arimathea, look at how Nicodemus, look at how these soldiers for God, when all had given up hope on Christ in his ministry, all had given up on him. He's dead. Oh, I guess he wasn't the Messiah. All the disciples went away. They hid from the religious leaders. They were all gone. And yet here, these people stepped up and they worked on behalf of Christ for God. 
They stepped it up. They said, even though everybody's giving up hope, we're not giving up hope. They step in and they show God love and they work on God's behalf for Christ even after Christ was dead. What did they do? We see them here serving God by being his hands and his feet and providing for the dead man, Jesus Christ. Do you realize what this was? Here they weren't focusing on the reality of the situation in the humanly. They go on the humanly, this man's dead. I mean, everybody else had given up on him. Let's go home. They didn't do that though. They continued to serve God, even when it didn't make sense, even when they, everybody else gave up. They continued to look away from the I, the me, and what I want, and they look to God, what he wants, what's his will, what's better for his kingdom. So they stopped serving themselves, and the popular thought of he's dead And they served God, even when it didn't make sense. Amazing. Amazing how they worked on God's behalf for Jesus, even though everybody else had given up. These here, ladies and gentlemen, are true disciples. These here, ladies and gentlemen, are the true believers in God. Their real belief in Christ led them to have this real action for God and to show him real love, even though everybody else had given up. Wow. So, easy to see here how the disciples of Christ and the Marys are working on behalf of Christ. This is going to be big at the end of our sermon. They're working on behalf of Christ and loving God by their actions. And and that's from the human side. And we can praise God, because as I said, God always provides for those that are His, through His saints or through His Spirit. But here we see God providing for Christ through these saints, through these holy men of His, right? And we see how they came and they took care of all the details about Christ's burial. They, they could have just come and just dig a small hole too and thrown Him in too, but they didn't. They took care of all these details. Details. They were interested in the very last detail of Christ's burial. This wasn't just a pish posh serving of God. This was a dedication that superseded the dedication of others. This was a detailed service unto God. Because again, God always works on behalf of and takes care of all of the details of those that are His. Amen. That is true. He does for me. And if you're his, I know he does for you too. But unfortunately, believe it or not, even though God has done all this for Christ, doesn't mean it's the end of the story for the things concerning Christ. You see, whenever God blesses, whenever God provides, and whenever God works on the behalf of those that are his, there is still that old evil devil. There's still that old evil man, Satan. And what is he doing? He's always trying to come against God whenever God does something amazingly good. And he's always going to try to work against God. Notice I said try. And this is a testimony. As I'm writing this sermon, I said, and they were working against God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, hold on, my son. I want you to say he was trying 
to work against him. Because although the devil may try to work against us, the Bible says that if you really belong to God, God makes the devil fail. So here he was trying, he always tries to work against whatever God is trying to do or whatever God is doing. So look at what the religious leaders are doing on behalf of Christ. So we saw first what these true, dedicated men and women of God were doing on behalf of Christ for God. They were showing him love by their actions. But look at what these religious leaders are doing on behalf of Christ. Look at verses 62 through 66, and we're just going to brazen over them because we don't want to give the we don't want to give these people here too much time because really they're not working on behalf of Christ for good. They're working on behalf of Christ for evil. It says there, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. Notice, they went right to Pilate again, because they knew he could have control over this situation, saying, Sir, now, mind you, they were wolves in sheep clothing. They were like devils in human flesh, right? Because they don't like Pilate. They didn't have any respect for the Romans, yet here they call him Sir. Be careful of the silver-tongued devil. That's all I have to say. Because here, they're like silver-tongued devils. Sir, when really inside, they're going, oh, I hate these Romans. So, sir, liars, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, well, we know from Scripture that they saw Jesus wasn't a deceiver. So they blasphemed the holy name of Christ right away. Notice that this deceiver said, after three days... I will rise. First of all, they call him a deceiver, and they never saw any deception from Christ at all. They heard his words. They saw his, his, his corresponding miracles. Always. For three and a half years, they saw his works. They saw his corresponding miracles. They never saw deception once. How dare they call Jesus a deceiver, yet here they, they blaspheme the holy name of Christ, and they call him a deceiver. And he says, after three days, I will rise. Now, if these guys weren't working for Satan here, think about this. Think about this. If they weren't working for Satan, wouldn't you want to kind of see? Hey, I wonder what's going to happen. Ooh. If you were really a seeker of God, wouldn't you have earnestly gone to the tomb yourself and on the second or third day or even been there the whole time and said, you know what, I wonder if this guy's really going to do this. Because if he is, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want to repent. No, no, that's not their heart here. Their heart here is, this guy's a deceiver. They've already judged him guilty and a deceiver. And after three days, I will rise, he says. He says so they tell him, therefore, command that the tomb be made secure. They think they're going to stop Jesus Christ from raising from the dead. They think they're going to stop the king of kings from doing what he said he was going to do. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Least, oh, well, his deceiver disciples, unless his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, oh, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. They really didn't care about the truth. All they were focused on doing here, notice, is working against God. They thought they were going to be able to work against God's plan. Pilate said to them, because you know what? Pilate really doesn't care. He said, you know what? I washed my hands. He takes the bowl, remember, to judge me. He takes his hands and puts water on him, washes his hands and says, you know what? I'm done. The blood of Christ be on your head, not on mine, because I didn't want to do this. You guys are the one that want to do this. So he doesn't really care at this point. Verse 65, he says, uh, you have a guard. Go your way and make it secure as you know how. And look into the depth. Look into the depth. Setting a guard wasn't enough for them to try 
to work against God's plan. Look at what they have. Look at what they think that they have to go to the extent of. So they went and made the tomb secure. That's by the guard. Listen, sealing the stone and setting the guard. They 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 put this amazing hard substance around the crack of the door of the stone so that if it's moved at all, that seal would be broken. We'd know, oh, the deceiver disciples, they came at night and they did it. Now we'll get to how Satan didn't win and we'll get to how the religious leaders did not win here next week or the week after, probably next week. But, but I just want you to see how these guys, although they claimed to be godly, these guys were supposed to be the, the leaders of the godly, claiming themselves, outwardly showing themselves to the people that they were godly, here are really working against God and Christ. They're not working for Christ here. They're working against Christ here. They're working for the devil against God in his Christ, right? And instead, we're going to look at that next week because they don't succeed. We're going to read that they don't succeed. You know why? Because the devil always loses. The devil's always a liar and the devil's always going to lose. Okay? But we can't read today, but because the creator will always win over that serpent, that devil. But unfortunately, the devil never stops trying to work against God and his people still today, unfortunately. But as I said earlier, if you're a true disciple and follower of Christ, God will always work on your behalf and God will always cause the devil to lose in your life too because we can overcome by the precious blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what the Bible says and God gives us that. So now, as I love to talk about how that evil devil loses and got defeated today, Because I love to read about how God defeats Satan. I love it. And ever devil's really attacking me, I go to the book of Revelation and I read about how fire comes down from heaven and consumes the devil and all those with him that are gathered against the camp of the saints and how he says that he takes him and he throws him into the pit of the fire. And I love reading how God defeats Satan, but we don't have time today. So we're going to read about Satan's defeat next week. But for today... The Lord really put a parallel on my heart to share with you guys uh, about this kind of like what we saw today and about what we read today and about the two groups of people that we read about today. What is it? What is this parallel that God gave me to talk about? Well, today we saw the secret admirers of Christ and the Marys who serve God on behalf of Christ by taking care of the needs of Jesus after he died. And not only just the needs, they, they took care of all the details the minute details down to every last detail. They took care of all the details of Jesus after Christ had died. They took the body down. They wrapped it in the linen cloth. They, they made the, they wrapped it in the cloth. They, they put the aloes and the myrrhs on there and they made it smell good. And they, you know, they took the, they had a, the tomb already hewed out and they laid the body in there so nicely. Then they rolled the stone against the tomb and look at how the detail of what they did to serve God here. They were working for God and on Christ's behalf by what they were doing. Always just keep that in your mind. They were working for God and on Christ's behalf with how they lived here. For. But we also read about those who said they were of God, the religious leaders, 
but yet they worked against God and Christ by their actions. They weren't real seekers of the truth. They were working against God and Christ by their actions. Well, believe it or not, there's a huge parallel here from then, even still till today. We have the same kind of parallel going on today, 2015, September 27th. People still today work behalf or work on behalf of God and Christ by their actions, by loving God. They serve God and they represent God in a good way, in a holy way. And, and people still today say that they are of God. Many, in fact, in America say they are of God, and yet they live their lives against God and Christ. And in essence, by doing that, they live against Satan. For Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either living a life that honors him and brings him glory, or you're living a life that doesn't bring him honor and doesn't bring him glory. And sadly, the Bible tells us that those who live lifestyles against God and Christ will not be saved, and they will not go to heaven when they die, no matter what they profess with their mouths and out of their lips. Where does it say this? Galatians 5.19, look at, what, look at what Paul writes to us. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. That's having sex with a woman that you're not married to when you're married. You're cheating on your wife, which are adultery. Fornication, that's having sex outside of marriage. Now, I probably just wrapped up about, I don't know, two-thirds of all Americans right there who do those things right there, and many of them I've talked to, oh, bless God, I'm a Christian. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. You can't walk out of your door and not see hatred. You can't drive on the roads around Dallas and not see hatred spewing from people in the cars that are around you. All over. Contentions. Who's not contending? We're, we're, we're hundreds of years past slavery. We're hundreds of years past you know, segregation. And what do we still have today? All over the place, people contending against one another because I'm black and you're white, or you're black and I'm white. Bah, da, da, da. Hatred and contention. That's what they are. Yet, yet, bless God, most of them will tell you, I'm a Christian. Oh, I love Jesus. Yet right here, Paul says, Hatred, contentions, now listen to what he says, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers. We have this whole group around that's going around now and they think it's okay to kill cops. I don't care whether you like cops or not, they don't deserve to be killed. Just like I wouldn't want to kill you and I hope you wouldn't want to kill me. Envy, murders, drunkenness, whoa. That's a huge one. Alcoholism is rising in America by the day. Revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand. Listen to what he says. Just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're not talking about, oops, I fell into some sin today, or oops, I'm living for God, and oh, man, I looked at a woman, oh, man, I lusted after, oh, gosh, Lord, please forgive oh, man, and then you work hard, and you work and you know, work at your own salvation, and you beat your flesh into submission, and we're not talking about that kind of walk. We're talking about 
this is the way I live. And you know what? God, Bible says God loves me. So since God loves me, I, I can live any way I want. And Paul says here that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice Paul didn't say anything about what they professed to be. He just said simply, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Reminds me of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, done all these wonderful things in your name, and yet I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you who practice sin, even though you call me Lord, if since you practice sin, I'll tell you I never knew you. So what does it mean to be a real follower of Christ and to be on your way to heaven? What does it mean to work for God and on behalf of Christ? Because we already saw that living that way is not it. Simple as this. To become like the secret disciples and the Marys that we read about in our story today. And what did these secret disciples and the Marys exemplify? What did they embody in their lives for Christ that would have awarded them? Because if they lived that way on out, they would be awarded to heaven. What did we see in them that would exemplify them being awarded a place in heaven? They decided to make their lives focused on the details of God and Christ. They decided to make their lives focused on the details of God and Christ and not of their own lives and of their own selves, but on the details and working for Christ Jesus, just like Jesus told us in Luke 9. Nine, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Uh, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, look at what he says, let him deny himself. Stop looking after the things of you and the details of your life and your kingdom. Let him take up his cross daily. For Christ took up his cross. And he says, and let him follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, you could say his earthly life, or his whoever desires to save his earthly life, well, they're going to lose their eternal life. Because if I want to live and build my kingdom here on earth now, then the Bible says I'm going to lose my eternal life. Because if I only really want to live for me, and I don't want to have anything to do with God, or God maybe just a back burner God, then God's going to say on the day of judgment, well, you really didn't want to live for me. You kind of just threw me in there, kind of in the side, kind of like a little salt on the eggs. And he said, but he says, but whoever loses his life, his earthly life, for my sake, will save his eternal life. For all those who stop focusing on their earthly lives and it's all about me and it's how I live and all me, 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 me and I, 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 my, 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 they're going to lose their eternal lives. Or we can put it as simple as I've ever had Christianity and salvation put simply to me ever before. God put it to me this way Friday night. Salvation simply is this. You decide to stop living your life for I, me, and my 
and you start living your life with the with your focus on him his will and his kingdom god gave me that just friday night cuz there's no other simpler way to put salvation i stop living and focusing on me and what mine and what i can have and my i me and my and i start focusing on what's important to god what does he want for his kingdom? And what is his will for my life? And what is his will for this earthly life and for this period here on this creation while I'm still alive? Yes, that's good. That's good. If you take a step to make Christ the Lord of your life and you surrender to him and decide to make your life focus about him and his will and his kingdom, then, and only then, once you've done that, can Christ's sacrifice for you cover you. If you don't, and you say, I, me, my, then his sacrifice don't mean nothing to you. And therefore, you cannot come behind the veil, as we spoke about in my beginning of my sermon. You cannot come before the veil, and you cannot partake of that intimate personal relationship with God because you have no interest in him. Or your interest in him, well, you know, it's some salt on my eggs, maybe, some pepper, maybe. Yeah, otherwise, man, I got to have all this buffet. Unless you decide to do this, you cannot be saved from your sins. You cannot be on your way to heaven and you cannot call God your Father and Jesus Christ your Lord. So today, please take a good long look at your lives. Every one of us may do, must do a self-examination all the time. We must. And we must look at our lives and we must ask ourselves, is my life focused on the things of God, His will, and His kingdom? Or is my life focused on I, me, my, I got to get mine, however you want to say it? Where's your life focus? Because if your life focus is not on, on Him, then the Bible says that you're on the wrong path. You're on the path of you being your own Lord and you're not on the path of Him being your Lord. It's really simple. Are you living for Jesus Christ in His kingdom or are you living for yourself and for your kingdom and the lusts of your flesh? Are you like Nicodemus, the Marys, and Joseph of Arimathea who served God in Christ in every little detail of their lives even though all others had given up on Jesus even after he died? Or are you like the religious leaders? Oh boy, you talk a good game. You profess godliness, and yet your life works, work against God and Christ in your actions. I pray that today, if you realize that you are like those religious leaders, if you realize today, you know what, my life is not focused on God. My life is not focused on the details of him, and my life is focused all on me. That you'd turn to Christ now and ask for forgiveness. That you would repent of this way of life and that you would turn to God, surrender yourself to him right now and say, God, I'm sorry. I realize, wow, I, I didn't know it before today, but Lord, I, I, I clearly see it now. That, Lord, your word says that if I practice a life of wickedness and sin and I practice a life of being my own Lord, then, Lord, you're not going to be my Lord. Because I won't let you. And Lord, if, you, if, if we won't let you be our Lord, then you can't save us. 
And I pray you'd cry out to him in prayer, asking for him for forgiveness. Falling on your knees and repenting of you being the Lord of your life and your sin in your life. And you ask Christ to come into your life and say, Christ, would you make my heart your abode? Would you make my heart the place that you're happy to live in? And stop living your life with your focus on I, me, and my. And start living a life of focus on him, his will, and his kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for Lord, just the way Scripture is so plain. Lord, we see the light in the dark in Scripture, Lord. And we see the light in the dark in America. We see the light in the dark in the world, Lord. How could someone say they love you and be racist toward another, Lord? How could someone say they love you and kill cops, Lord? How could someone say they love you and rage against people on the road? Lord, it's impossible, Lord. For God, your word says that you are a God of love. And love doesn't envy. Love does not outburst the wrath. Love does not hate, Lord. Love and hate are completely different things. Love does not live a lifestyle of wickedness and sin right to your face with no repentance and a continued lifestyle of this and still love you. So I pray, Lord God, that today as I speak, Lord, whoever's listening, wherever, all over the world, Lord, from Russia to, to, to Africa, Lord, wherever you're bringing them from to listen to this message, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that they would realize, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would wake them up and make them realize, Lord, they're not yours if they're living lives contrary to you and your teachings, Jesus. And I pray you'd wake them up right now, Lord, and bring them to Christ right now. Please, Lord, let them fall on their knees in repentance crying out to you, God, I need you. I realize I'm not right in your eyes. Help them to turn to you, Lord. And Lord, for all of us that are on that path, Lord, although we may stumble sometimes, Lord, because I know I'm guilty, I still stumble, stumble sometimes. Lord, I pray, dear God, that although we may stumble, Lord, we get back up in repentance and stand strong and tall in Christ and we and completely every day be focused on you and your kingdom and your will and not our own. Let us take up our crosses daily and let us continue to deny ourselves daily, Lord, and trust in you for everything. As your word says, Lord, you take care of everything concerning yours and those that are yours and those that live for you. I thank you, dear God. I praise you, dear God. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.